Hello, and welcome back to the Net Zero Nation podcast. I'm your host, Angela Betancourt, and I'm thrilled you took some time to tune in to this week's episode. Our guest this week is David Rubenstein. David currently coordinates the activities of Action for Racial Justice, a project to engage Americans of all backgrounds in the struggle for equal rights. Over two decades, David has advised a wide variety of nonprofit organizations and their boards, working closely with executives and organizational leadership to visualize and clarify their missions and execute realistic and effective action plans. He is perhaps best known as a leader and key architect of the Save Defour advocacy movement, which brought America's attention to the humanitarian and human rights crisis in Sudan's Western region. David is also a valuable advisor to Net Zero. His wisdom and guidance have been incredibly helpful in moving the organization forward, and I'm grateful he makes himself available to help us. Please, please, please visit the website to read more about David's incredible accomplishments. Dave, thank you so much for being the second guest on the Net Zero Nation podcast. It's truly a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Thank you, Angela. It's a delight to be with you. I'm glad you invited me. Thank you. Thank you. Your background is so impressive. You've had this extensive career spanning various forms of social activism and nonprofit leadership. Can you share what initially drew you to these causes and how that journey began? Well, my journey in social justice began probably in in my college years, uh, getting involved with other programs that people had led. Uh, Since then, it's been really a tale of applying my skills to problems that, that showed up, seeing where I had an idea or a, a path forward that looked promising, and then using the skills that I had developed earlier to apply to new issues and new problems. And hopefully, or I should say uh, that I hope that I have been able to make contributions by paying attention to what needs are in society and what solutions seem possible. And how did you first get involved with Net Zero? How did that come about? I spent a few years working as a leader at the Save Darfur Coalition, where I worked very closely with Isaac Shapiro, the founder of Net Zero, and uh, was really impressed with Isaac's ability to look clearly at a problem and look clearly at a way to approach it with integrity and with creativity and with you know consistent tenacity and i was really impressed working with isaac learning alongside isaac at save darfur and when he created this terrific net zero program uh, i offered to give him some advice which i'm always happy to give people advice but also to share with him some of the tools that I learned working alongside him and applying them to this other really super important program, which is addressing a super important problem. Climate change is the the biggest risk that, that our planet faces. And I think it's really essential that we get engaged in resolving it. So when an opportunity came along to help Net Zero, I, I thought it would be terrific for me to 
see what I could do to make a difference. Well, you're certainly making a difference because your insights and your wisdom and all of your recommendations, uh, everything that you've shared with me and with, um, with us has been incredibly helpful. So thank you so much for, for that. Um, Cause I do look to you toward, you know, I do look to you for guidance and information and advice on a, in a lot of areas. And it certainly has uh, made a difference. I want to focus a little bit on net zero before we, we switch to a different topic, but I, this, you have taken individual action in various areas of your life. As you just mentioned, you see a cause or you learn about a, a cause that means something to you and you've stepped up to provide guidance or wisdom and just take action in, in, a, in a way that you can. And that's what net zero is all about. It's about individual action. And I want to get your thoughts on why is that important? Why is individual action important in the fight for climate change? I think the question that you're asking me is really two parts. One is, why is it important for individuals to get involved? And, you know, one one thing that I have learned is that people have their own values and their own needs and their own focus. So it's really hard to explain to somebody and to convince them that their values are not the right values. If people don't care about something, it's very hard to get them to care about something. On the other hand, when people do care about something, it's really essential to give them tools that they can use to to make a difference and and to create change. And that is so often done in small groups. In, in individually, we find ways to get lazy. In large groups, we find ways to be anonymous and to not see what we're doing is important. Uh, on the other hand, I, I've really been moved through my life uh, with an idea that comes from uh, a quote that really explains it best, I think, from Margaret Mead. I'm sure that, that most of our listeners know the expression, never let it be said that a small group of committed individuals cannot change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And when Margaret Mead said that, um, I don't know whether she was talking about global warming. I think probably climate change was not uh, in her mind at the time. But this is really a terrific way to remind ourselves that we are social beings and that as social beings, it's really essential that we see other people doing something and working alongside them and not wanting to let them down. So I really appreciate in, in the work that I have done that idea of getting people to work together. I frequently quote uh, President Clinton, who said that you have to ask people for things in affordable units of time and money. And I think that if you can allow people to really motivate one another, that is a tremendous tool to use and to do it with a the idea that the steps they're taking are affordable to them that other people are taking the same steps and that those steps will be useful in achieving a goal. To me, that's the magic sauce. And that's what I try to use in all of the work that I do as inspiring volunteers to engage in social justice. That's, thank you for sharing that quote. It's, it's a very powerful quote and, and a reminder of the power of individual action and what can what is possible when people come together to say we need to take action on a particular issue? 
what you said also reminds me of the importance of getting everyone involved, getting people motivated and inspired. And that means all hands on deck for, um, for fighting climate change. Your work with Action for Racial Justice indicates a deep commitment to inclusivity and intersectionality. How do you see the climate crisis through the lens of racial justice and how should these issues be tackled? The commonality that I see between racial justice and climate change is that the folks who have it the least well off are the ones who are most susceptible to injustice, whether that's racial injustice or the injustice caused by climate change mm -hmm. and the impact on the planet, impact on uh, the weather, impact on on rising sea levels. These things all affect the people who have the least and who are the least well attended by the powers that be. So mm -hmm. my goal is to say, what we're doing now is not fair, it's not just, it's not right. And we need to use the same tools to persuade our leaders to make the change that's gonna solve these problems. In, in that same vein, when we're thinking about inclusivity and getting more people involved, I think about engaging diverse communities. And I'm thinking about oftentimes, as you mentioned, there are sometimes the communities that are most deeply impacted by climate change events are oftentimes the least involved in create in the creation of those climate change events. It is certainly the case that the people who are least well off have the least contribution to climate mm -hmm. change and will probably suffer more than people who are well off. So I think that's really essential to recognize. But I think additionally, you want to recognize that the people who make change in our society are typically not the ones who have to work two or three jobs or or who don't recognize the right way to make have influence or to make change with political leaders. That the people who have learned the tools for influencing political leaders are the ones who have the most already and the ones who have been able to influence political leaders are the ones who are able to, to gather more resources and to protect their own living standards. So it's not interesting. It's not unlikely uh, to recognize that people who don't have very much or who are at most risk have the least political clout, in part because they're busy doing other things, taking care of their families, and in part because they don't yet have the experience of becoming politically effective. I just heard a, a wonderful, really a wonderful um, podcast, I think from, I don't know, was Ezra Klein or whether it was uh, Russ Roberts. But it, in fact, I take it back, it was an interview uh, on uh, fresh air with a man who wrote a book called How the Elite Ate Social Justice. And it really mm, is a, okay. a recognition that social justice movements are tremendously influenced by the elite 
and that the people that they're representing really have very little influence in the movement itself. Uh, so it's a book I'm really looking forward to reading and learning more about how this works and how we can engage the people who are most susceptible to social justice issues and social justice injustices. So let's call that social injustice, but to understand how we can get them more engaged in these issues and and support them rather than, than the elite people coming from fancy colleges who are the ones making the decisions that influence so much of the world. And that's the question I was just get, about to get into is how do we, uh, how can climate advocates better engage and mobilize these communities that might not traditionally be involved in environmental causes, uh, particularly those from under-resourced areas? Well, Angel, one of the uh, things that I have discovered is that it's really hard to tell people what they should do. Mm -hmm. I think to me, the value is presenting the facts in compelling ways. So always start with the truth, but present it in a story that is easy for people to recognize and to capture their emotions. But the next step is really the essential one, which is to give them tools, to offer them tools that will allow them to be effective. So that if they agree that this is a problem that requires or at least would benefit from their attention, they know that the steps they take are affordable to them in time and money, that other people are taking the same steps alongside them, and that their steps will make a difference if they take the steps. So those to me are the three the three key aspects to offering to people. So there are two questions. One is, how do you reach these people? The ones that you're you're trying to affect, you need to find communication tools that are uh, viable, that are persuasive, that have credibility. So people that they know and people who they respect. Typically, you know, we look towards celebrities and other household names to say, yeah, this is important. If it's on the editorial page of the New York Times, it's not going to get the attention that it, you may get if it's in a uh, uh, an influencer's podcast or an influencer's uh, TikTok. Uh, but I do want to add one more really essential uh, vehicle for delivering the message and for allowing people to take action, which is the faith community. Uh, we have found was really the, the, the idea that really worked the best at the Save Darfur Coalition was engaging faith communities. And in fact, the um, I think the power of the Save Darfur Coalition was how churches and synagogues and mosques and their umbrella organizations got engaged to, to send the messages down about what is happening in the world and how it reacts, how it aligns or doesn't align with their religious teachings and then giving them avenues of action through their churches and synagogues and mosques to take action. And that was really the, I think the, the most important element of the influence that the Saved Our Four Coalition had. While we're on the topic of, of religion and faith uh, and organized religion, I have to say it's, it's quite stunning that people profess that God has given us this wonderful 
planet and this wonderful nature and this wonderful environment that he created, and yet they are not speaking out very loudly about the responsibility for protecting something that God loaned to us. And um, I, I would really be really pleased to see that the faith community takes this on as as something of importance to them and puts the kind of energy behind it that it it deserves and that it requires and and that would be consistent with the faith teachings. Exactly. I'm so fascinated by that topic and and I agree with you because exactly on one end we talk about how beautiful this earth is and then on the other end we're not protecting it as as we should. So that's a great point to bring up. So I want to cover uh, two more two more things um, before our time is up. The first thing is advice for aspiring activists. Uh, for our listeners who are deeply concerned about the climate crisis and are inspired by your work, what advice would you give them if they're looking to make a meaningful impact? Um, whether that's in their careers or through personal advocacy? That's a, a wonderful and important question, Angela. And this is an area where I I think is so crucial for us as, well, let's, let's call us senior advocates to help the, the next generation, the one after that, uh, be successful in doing important things. Number one is to have a, a very clear sense of what you individually consider injustice in the world. What is it that if you had a magic wand, what would you fix first? What things upset you to know that the world has gotten out of round on and you wanna apply yourself to, to making that better? The second is to make sure that you yourself are up to speed on, on the issue, whatever the issue is, whether it's racial justice or global warming or voting rights to make sure that you are taking your responsibility to do your individual job properly. The third step is to find out that you're not alone, that in virtually any issue you wanna take on, you can find people who are addressing it with some degree of effectiveness. And to understand what your options are, where your skills, what you're good at, what you like to do, and what the world needs are in alignment. And then to find people who have integrity and who have skills and who have commitment and who are good with people and to find a way to work alongside those people. Uh, any, unfortunately, the nonprofit world has gets a lot right, but in addition, the unfortunate part is not that they get a lot right. The unfortunate part is that is that it's made up of human beings and, and very few human beings are perfect. And um, you're going to work with people who are imperfect and you may be imperfect yourself. So it's really important to work with people who are trying to do better themselves, trying to do better in their organizations and trying to make the world better in an authentic and credible way. So find the people who are working on issues that are important to you and find the skills that you have and the things you enjoy doing and apply them to the problems that, that you think need solving. Wonderful advice. Thank you so much for that. And the, the last thing I want, I want to 
to bring up before any other closing um, comments is what lessons do you believe could be applied to a global effort to address climate change based on your experience, you know, your work, um, the Save the Forest Coalition, your experiences working with and, and helping these other organizations and helping Net Zero, what lessons do you have? Yeah, that's um, an important and challenging question, Angela. I think that the key, the key approach is to see where people's interests intersect. And that is that there are a lot of very powerful players who don't want to make change in how we add carbon to the environment and don't have a real risk personally in the in the carbon collections in the atmosphere heating the planet. But the reality is that most people are worse off because of global warming and because of climate change. And the key is to hitch your wagon in a circle <laughs> with other people who believe that mm -hmm. this is a problem and who want to be solved, who want to solve it. As we talked about earlier, decisions are made by powerful people. And we have to persuade the powerful people that this is important for themselves, either because their families are gonna be better off or because their voters are gonna be better off. Uh, very few powerful people got there by thinking, I want the world to be better. It's very rare to get into mm. a decision-making process to be there because you're trying to do the right thing. There's just a handful of, of those people that I've ever dealt with. Most people in the world are focused on their own needs first. And so what you have to do is gather together people who have a sense of integrity, a sense of morality, a sense of doing the right thing, appealing to that part of their personalities and doing it together in groups with other people who can work with you and support you and who together give you the power to make change. Such powerful words. That's a lot of truth there. Dave, thank you so much. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I just want to say how important it is for people to take individual responsibility. It's hard to solve big problems if you haven't taken individual responsibility for your role in the problem. So number one, uh, think about what kind of person you want to be. Think about the dreams you had when you were a child and adolescent about how you're going to do good things. And to take responsibility for doing those good things, do your research, but also take action. And so the action that I'm asking, I encourage people to take is to sign up to take the net zero pledge to get yourself carbon neutral in, in your life by getting offsets through net zero. And then to say, there's no quitting in this. Uh, nothing is getting better and it won't get better with you sitting on the sideline. So take action, figure out what you're good at, figure out the people you want to work alongside and retain your commitment to creating the planet that you had when you were young and idealistic and keep keep taking responsibility for yourself and then say, how can I make this a more just and uh, more livable planet? Thank you so much, Dave. And as he just mentioned, 
individual action can start right on the net zero website and that's netzeropledge.org. Go there, there we have our calculators, one that gives you the average carbon footprint uh, per household. It takes two minutes um, to, to go through that process or you can use the personalized calculator and get your own unique number as to what your uh, carbon footprint is. Again, it won't take very long. That's a good first step in taking individual action is just go on there, take the net zero pledge, begin your commitment, or if you're already doing other things in, in your everyday life to reduce your carbon footprint, thank you. This is an additional thing that you can do to further um, reduce your carbon footprint. We're also on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And this podcast is now going to also be on YouTube at the Net Zero Pledge. All of that information is also available on the website. Dave, thank you again so much for everything, for everything you're doing for Net Zero, for everything you're doing in your in your work and in, and in your life and also for coming on to this podcast. It means a lot to me, thank you. Angel, I wanna thank you. This really has been an enjoyable experience. I've enjoyed thinking about the things that you brought up. I really believe in the work that you're doing and uh, I'm really hopeful that we can keep working together and using tools like the ones you're creating to clean up this planet. Thank you so much.